Hello friends. Let's talk about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast and it's free of cost. Anchor distributes the podcast to many different platforms and you can make money through it. So that was the introduction. Short introduction of Anchor. Now let's switch to our topic that is the history of Netherlands for today. The story begins in the 16th century, but the Netherlands' origin travels much further back than that. The earliest known human life to inhabit the area now known as Netherlands did so some 40,000 years ago. At the time, the people were hunter-gatherers and roamed across the country for wild game. The first settlement didn't begin to appear until around 4800 BC. Several centuries later, during the Iron Age, that is 800 BC to 48 BC, the area began to prosper thanks to the availability of iron ore in the area. This prosperity, this prosperity garden, the interest of early Romans and they took over the area starting in 57 BC. The Romans ruled over the Netherlands for 50 years, influencing the citizens of the Netherlands in a grand way. Towns were built, new settlements founded and new military structures constructed. The influence of the Romans would affect the citizens for generations to come. The early Middle Ages, that is 400 to 1000 AD, would see many achievements in the Dutch culture. It was during the first it was during this time that the Frisian kingdom was established the Dutch language emerged the first christians settled into the area and the vikings raided the low countries the high middle ages that is 1000 to 1432 AD saw the netherlands become the part of the holy roman empire and accompanied with the continual war between feuding states holland established itself as a major area of influence and saw many wars between 1350 and 1490 mainly over the title of Count of Holland Holland the Bulgarian period that is 1433 to 1567 AD was begun when the Duke of Burgundy united much of what would become the current day Netherlands and Belgium it was the period when the Dutch road to nationalism began and that and it's also where our story begins Charles V at the tender age of 6 inherited the low countries after the death of his father Philip the Handsome. However, due to his young age his aunt Margaret of Austria would govern his kingdom until 1515 when he became of age by 19. Charles V had become the emperor of not only the Spanish Empire but the German Empire as well. He couldn't come back to the low countries until his death of his aunt. when he then needed to appoint a new regent for the area his sister Mary of Hungary under the guise of helping his sister due to her lack of experience Charles established several councils to assist her but the real motive behind the council was to recreate potential opposition into his camp Charles was ambitious and determined to extend his empire as a result he was always at war with new countries and busy defending the ones he had already acquired one of the countries he have, he was constantly in conflict with was france with the low countries bordering france they become a central location for wartime efforts which created unrest in the kingdom charles the 5th reign ended in 1555 out of his own choosing he was tired of he was tired and weary from the years of war so he abdicated his throne and gave the spanish empire including the low countries to his son philip the 2nd and the roman empire to his brother ferdinand 
during Charles' reign and afterwards, specific laws made it acceptable to persecute and execute Protestants. As a, re- as a result, several nobles from the lower countries paraded through the streets of Brussels to peacefully petition for better rights for Protestants. Margaret of Parma was, govern- was governor of the area at that time and she suspended the laws where she sought counsel from Philip II. During the period that the laws were suspended, several Protestants began attending public ceremonies. It was long before an especially inspired speech resulted in a small uprising where several Protestants stormed a local monastery and defaced it. This particular event didn't occur out of the blue, but as a result of years of pent-up tension and aggression between the Protestants and the Catholics. Add to that the fact that the area was facing an economic crisis and social unrest was inevitable. After gaining word about the destruction of the monastery, Philip II ordered the Duke of Alva to to the Netherlands to stop the unrest, to stop the unrest and establish Spanish authority over the population. And Alva did just that in his own unique, terrible way. The Duke of Alva established the Council of Troubles, which became known as Council of Blood because of its many death sentences against those involved in the attack on the monastery. Alva, though the council would take care of unrest in a few short months, however, it would be years before the fallout from, his, from this conflict would reside. It wasn't long before Alva was appointed governor over the lower countries, which sparked even more unrest from the citizens of Netherlands. It wasn't long until Alva was sending Spanish troops to different cities to reprimand citizens for declaring for the prince, with one of the worst incidents being the execution of some 500 Protestant rebels in the town of Zutphen. By, by way of groaning in the frozen river Jessel. The first victory for the ne- Netherlands citizens came during the siege of Leiden, which lasted an entire year from 1573 to 74. The Spaniards had surrounded the city, over a third of the population had perished. But victory finally came in the form of William of Orange and his troops when they marched out to meet the Spaniards. The Spaniards eventually retreated and heading and white beard were brought into the starving city. The event is still celebrated today. After the leading siege had ended, William of Orange had inherited a staunch following of rebels and rebel supporters. His attention was then turned towards diplomacy and uniting all of the provinces to form an alliance against Spain. That alliance became a trade reality for a short while in 1576 after the Spaniards went on a rampage in Antwerp. However, the alliance would only last for three short years. William of Orange was assassinated in 1584 after King Philip II declared him to be an outlaw. After William's assassination, his sons Maurice took over the operation. It wasn't long before he made a splash in the offensive. The English had little success until 1588 when the tides drastically switched towards the English and Maurice rebels favor. After the English gained victory over the Spanish Armada, Soon after, the Dutch launched their first offensive against the Spanish. Maurice and his cousin Willem Lodwich led the Dutch to a series of victories over the Spaniards, starting with the Siege of Breda in 1590. The string of victories would continue for the next eight years and culminate in the Spanish king's abandonment of the Netherlands government in 1598. You would think that after all the bloodshed that was had at this time, hands of the Spanish army, the Dutch would welcome years of peace and harmony after the 12-year truce. Unfortunately, new conflict was already in progress and it was between the church and the state. 
Maurice of Orange and his followers supported Gomarus and became known as counter remonstrants and grand of pensionary Johann van sided with Arminius whose group became known as remonstrants. The conflict split the provinces in two and caused several internal conflicts until 1618 when Maurice commanded the arrest of Alden Barnvenet. In 1621, the twelve-year truce ended the war between the Dutch and the Spanish picked up where it had left off, with both armies fighting to claim new territories and defending existing ones. In 1625, in 1625, Maurice of Orange died and Frederick Henry, his half-brother, gained control of the Dutch army. Frederick Henry developed a reputation for successfully conquering Spanish occupied cities. In 1635, he joined forces with the French to regain control of several key southern Netherlands provinces, including Breda. For the next decade, the two sides battled on, the Spanish having to deal not only with conflict in the Netherlands but also around their home country of Spain. The Dutch, on the other hand, faced an impending economic crisis due to years of funding the war. Both sides were growing increasingly tired of the conflict, the end was at hand. The Treaty of Munster took place on January 30, 1648, officially ending the war between the Republic and Spain. The 80 years war was over and the Netherlands had its own sovereignty at last. Even during the conflict between the Dutch and Spaniards, Amsterdam was experiencing growth like never before. By 1600, it had already established itself as a trade and shipbuilding epicenter. Due to the success of Amsterdam, immigrants flocked to the area on a daily basis. Amsterdam was the city of opportunity, and people of all types were attracted to it. Up until 1613, Amsterdam had contained itself within the borders of the canal that surrounded the city. During this period, Amsterdam gathered all of its wealth due to the massive trade market and shipbuilding. Products from all around the world were brought to the area, packed and sold, and eventually shipped to its new destination. The Golden Age saw the first Jews arrive to the Netherlands from Spain and Portugal. Most of the Jewish immigrants settled in Amsterdam, where at first it was prohibited to openly practice their faith. However, it wasn't long before they had constructed a simple synagogue near a canal in the city. Due to their importance to the city, authorities tended to turn a blind eye to the newly constructed synagogue. Then in the mid-17th century, the prohibition was lifted and the Jews were able to freely and openly practice their religion. The Portuguese Jews constructed an elaborate cathedral in the middle of the city, the Esnoga, which still functions to this day, while drops of Eastern European Jews flooded into the city and its surrounding area. While the Dutch economy and society were experiencing a golden age, war was always on the horizon, and the first of what would become a series of three wars called the Anglo-Dutch Wars was underway in 1652. It consisted of eight major battles, with the last one being a vicious naval battle that fought both sides ravaged and unwilling to continue. A peace treaty was signed in 1654, and the first Anglo-Dutch war was in the books. Only a mere decade later, relations between the English and the Dutch had once again deteriorated. Naval was broke out. Naval war broke out and culminated with the Dutch fleet, led to Admiral Richard de Ruyter destroying several of English docked ships and taking England's flagship vessel, the Royal Charles. The English had no choice but to sign another peace treaty, and the Second Anglo-Dutch War was in the books. The Third Anglo-Dutch War took place between 1672 and 1674 and entered and centered on the French line, in which the Dutch promises the English allied with the French. 
replied with the French. However, their trust in each other was lacking, to say the least. And as a result, the French failed in landing an army on Dutch land, and the third and final Anglo-Dutch war was in the books. Other famed philosophers, mathematicians, and scientists like Locke, Hobbes, and Spinoza were all involved in one from form on another with the Netherlands during this period of massive intellectual growth. Towards the end of the Golden Age, starholder William III made a run at the English crown, which at the time belonged to his wife's father, King James II. William's wife, Mary Stuart, was the, was the next in line for the crown until James had a son and decided to raise him to take over. King James second opponent urged William III to dethrone his father-in-law and that's exactly what William set out to do. Upon William's arrival in England, James fled to France but the flight was not over. Fighting lasted for the next couple of years and culminated in 1690 with William's decisive victory at the River Point. Shortly after the war started, William III died in a freak horse riding accident. The war effort continued on and the Dutch and English shared quite a few victories together. However, it proved to be a very bloody war for the Dutch Republic. In the end, the English and the Dutch succeeded in preventing the union of France and Spain, but the Netherlands was practically bankrupt from the cost of war. The gains were few, the golden age was officially over, and they were broken as a country. Unfortunately, it would remain that way for quite some time. As the Golden Age entered, the Netherlands were in a perpetual state of turmoil for several years, largely due to the economic struggles that accompanied the position of war. In the 17th century, the country was upset with the current state of things and the winds of change were beginning to blow. On the night of September 1781, a small pamphlet was passed through the city to all who would read it. This population would come to be known as the Patriots to signify their love for their country and they would make a very big splash in the years to come. And Prince William V, in response to this criticism and growing interest, decided to flew to Gelderland with his wife in 1785. The supporters of William the Orange stayed the cause and fought back against the Patriot allegations. Soon, turmoil and conflict became rampant throughout the surrounding areas. The conflict started with open debates and finger-pointing in various publications and pamphlets, but soon into violence. 1787 things took a turn for the worse. An accident involving prince, princess occurred in which she was refused passage to the Hague of gunpoint by Patriot. Out of fear of her arousing Orangist supporters, as a result of this insult to his sister, King Frederick William II of Prussia sent his army to squash this Patriot rebellion for good. It worked, and by the end of 1787, approximately 40,000 Patriots had fled to safety to the France. But the parents weren't finished yet. Patriots weren't finished yet. Seven years after the Patriots fled the country, help arrived in and likeliest of places, France. The French Revolutionary Army arrived on Dutch soil in 1794 and forced William V to flee again, this time to England. After the French army had cleared the way, the Patriots returned to their homeland and were able to easily gain power over the country. January 18, 1795 marked the beginning of the Patriots' takeover of the administration in Amsterdam. The Batavian Republic remained in power until 1806 when Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte appointed his brother Louis Bonaparte as the first king of Netherlands. However, it was an ill-fitted appointment as one that would last only for four years.
In 1810, Napoleon removed his brother from power and annexed the Netherlands to France. In 1813, a provincial government was created to gain power of the country back from the French. In this government, William V was able to make his return back to the Netherlands after 18 years of exile. William V returned and was coronated in Amsterdam as the sovereign prince. North Netherlands and South Netherlands were combined to serve as a fortified barrier from neighboring France and the Netherlands was deemed a kingdom by the constitution which was constructed in 1814. Very shortly after William V named himself King William I. All was headed in the right direction until Napoleon showed up for one last hurrah. As soon as Napoleon could find a way back into France, he capitalized on it. Upon his return from Elba, the island to which he was exiled in 1815, Napoleon quickly won over the French military, forcing King Louis out of the country. Naturally, this set of warning signals for all of major European nations, and they decided they needed to act swiftly and not allow Napoleon the opportunity to rebuild his empire. The English, Dutch, Austrians, Prussians, and Russians all marched to the border of France to engage Napoleon's forces, but to no avail. Napoleon wasn't there and was already advancing his campaign. Napoleon was no longer an issue, but as usual, new conflict was waiting just around the corner, this time in the form of ruler of the kingdom himself, King William I. King William practiced complete authoritarian rule over the country, and as the years passed by, social unrest began to rear its head. This time it was coming from the netizens, citizens in the southern Netherlands. To try and stop the unrest, the king sent his two sons to Brussels to mediate and patiently establish a truce with the people. They were successful, but the unrest ultimately would not cease, and in 1831, William I decided to try and end its brute force. The war with Belgium would last another eight years until the Treaty of London was signed between the Dutch and the Belgians in 1839. In 1840, King William I abdicated his throne to Prince William of Orange, who from then on became known as King William II. The new king, however, was coming to power at the dawn of the revolution, one that would sweep the entire continent. The French king had already abdicated his throne and the French Republic was subsequently blown. The Dutch were after the same thing. For fear of being thrown out by one means or another, King William II backed the amendment of the constitution. The Netherlands was now officially a constitutional monarchy. The mid-19th century saw the rise of industry in the Netherlands and a drastic decline in the working condition for the working class. As you can imagine, social unrest was soon to follow, but before the working class received their due, there was another part of the population that needed to be given their rights back, the slaves. Slavery at this point had been a part of Dutch society for centuries. It was until the late 18th century that citizens began to rise up to the injustice of this terrible practice. The Netherlands had stopped and outlawed their slave trade practices by 1814, but slavery itself was still in full effect and it would continue for several more decades. The abolition did make the slave free, but the plantation workers were required to continue working on the plantation for other, another 10 years per contract. The slaves were officially free, but it was a ludicrous final price to pay for freedom. Future laws were passed in 1889 and 1911 that would regulate the number of hours women and children would work, as well as further enforce the child labor laws set forth in 1874. 
the tradition of rail travel was slow to catch on in the Netherlands, but it did in the 19th century. It did so in a big way. The railways practice exploded overnight, and a rail system was being constructed all throughout the country. This rail system also called for new bridges, which were constructed in factories that were now using stern to steam to operate their machinery. The steam engine was in full force during the Industrial Revolution. Steam-powered ships replaced sailboats, and steam began the major source of power in factories around the nation. The modernization of Dutch industry led to drastic increase in another area, the population. By 1900, five lakh citizens resided in Amsterdam alone, 30 lakh more than in the first first half of the 19th century. In response to this new burst of growth, a new housing boom was begun. one of the fastest in Dutch history then the germans invaded the netherlands beginning on may the may 10 1940 and lasting only 5 days the german nazi army invaded the netherlands by air and land the attack began in the hague and within a few hours germany had control of the northern provinces however the dutch weren't ready to give up they drew a defensive they drew a defensive position in where the germans eventually engaged them in intense fighting the germans quickly took the upper hand the dutch realizing they had no chance of defeating the nazi army surrendered on may 14 all total over 4000 dutch citizens lost their lives and an additional 4700 were wounded germany had taken the netherlands and the worst was yet to come the holocaust it started with segregation and isolation shortly after germany gained control of the netherlands the dutch saw the dutch jews were prohibited from entering most public places on top of that they were dismissed from certain jobs and the children weren't allowed to attend school by 1942 they were forced to wear a yellow star of david on their clothes so to be distinguishable from the rest of the population the badge was used not only to humiliate and degrade the jewish citizens but also to help control the movement and keep tabs on them the worst was yet to come the worst came just a couple of months after the dutch jews were forced to wear the star of david over 6 million jews ended up losing their lives in what would come to be called the holocaust one of the most terrible acts of genocide the world has ever seen as germany's treatment treatment of the jews became worse the anger of the dutch population greatened it wasn't long before dutch resistance group began popping up to either help hide jews or did aid the alliance in the bringing down the nazi nazi regime as the war waged on this resistance group would do increasingly bold acts to help the allies allies resistance assassinate german officers blow up important methods of transportation raid german operated offices and factories and more the liberation of the netherland after four long years of occupation by occupation by the germans the netherlands were liberated however it didn't happen overnight south netherlands was the first to become liberated in the fall of 1944 the rest of the netherlands became officially liberated on may 5 1945 and on august 15 1945 the dutch east indies would become liberated from japanese occupation thus ending the war the netherlands society changed drastically after the war the country's economy was in shambles and the people were still recuperating from the massive losses sustained during the war both human and structural however the dutch were resilient and are quick to bounce back it wasn't long until they were making great strides towards improving their country's rising 
to new heights of prosperity and happiness. William Dries extended the welfare state during this time. He ensured that the government took responsibility for the welfare of the citizens. The baby boom also occurred during this time. Young men and women had suffered through past financial turmoils and the terrors of war and were now looking forward to a brighter future and the family of their own. The 60s and the 1960s and 1970s marked a period of great cultural and social change throughout the world including the Netherlands. The baby boomers were now teenagers and young adults and they were all about rebelling against the establishment. This younger generation became engaged in things like rock and roll, drugs, idealism and informal clothes. They wanted to distinguish themselves from the past generation as much as possible and they were successful. The 1980s and 1990s saw mass influx of immigrants come into the country followed by the mass blending of different cultures. Starting as far back as the 1960s, the Netherlands began letting foreigners into the country as guest workers. Due to the shortage of laborers in the workforce, their stay in the Netherlands was to, was to be temporary, but several of them stayed and acquired permanent work permits. This trend continued well into the 1980s and by the 1990s, a cultural melting pot was in place. Cuisine, customs, language and religion were all brought in from different countries like Turkey and Morocco and became ingrained into the Dutch society, where they remain to this day. The new millennium saw a great political debate and integration of migrant workers into the Dutch society. That debate has seen more than its share of turmoil and strife and continues to be an ongoing battle between political powers to this day. However, the Netherlands has continued to prosper since the end of the war. The Dutch has evolved into one of the most accepting, egalitarian and prosperous countries in the world and they show no signs of slowing anytime soon. So friends, that was the history of Netherlands. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time, thank you.